Welcome, fellow plebs. My name is Sean, and this is Tribunus Plebis. And it looks like we are going. And welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, I want to talk about fissuring of the workplace and the workforce. Basically, what this means is the overarching trend to outsource workers, um, to hire workers as independent contractors, and to replace in-house workers with third-party firms. We can also throw gig workers, the folks who work for places like Uber and Instacart, in here as well. The concept is pretty simple, but the problems it creates for the working class are absolutely horrific. Let's dig into it. And as we start digging, let's start in the 1980s. So when I was young, which was in the 1980s, there was a very popular term that I clearly remember being bandied about on the news. That term was vertical integration. It meant that a large company, let's call ours Widget Corp, manufacturer of widgets, they would aim to own or control the entirety of their manufacturing and supply process right from raw materials to warehousing and to selling their finished goods. They would own or control mines. They would own shipping and rail containers, own trucks and employ drivers. They would own processing facilities and warehouses and so on. They controlled their product from, you know, literal raw materials straight out of the ground, right on up to sales, hence vertical integration. The financial incentive was to efficiently and directly oversee every aspect of the process, sometimes from mining right to delivery of goods to customers. Even jobs like janitorial services, food services, security, and mail rooms were run in-house, meaning that even the lowest level employees, they all worked for Widget Corp. They were all employees. As companies began to face immense pressure, particularly from the late 1970s and onward, you know, to become nothing more than wealth shunts to the top shareholders, C-suite dorks, and board members, they began to outsource. And they began to do this through various and numerous channels, um, and they got rid of as much of their costs as they possibly could. All of this pressure, and let's be honest here, greed from the C-suite and above, it caused companies to abandon the vertical integration model and to embrace their quote-unquote core competencies, those aspects of the business that most directly brought riches to the investors and sometimes, though not usually, even maybe helped the customers. The first things that companies jettisoned were all over the board. Some kicked payroll to a third-party service, others rid themselves of in-house janitorial services and replaced employees in these jobs with a contract with someplace like United Payroll Services, or National Janitorial Services. For other companies, the near-mythical origin story location for several famous CEOs, the mailroom, was the first thing to go. And I am sure that we are all familiar with the prevalent outsourcing of the dreaded call center. So why is this all a problem? The problems with this fissuring as David Weil, the person primarily responsible with pushing this issue to the forefront calls it, are manifold. Wages are depressed, job security is destroyed, fewer people with company-provided insurance, and so on. As all of these wages and benefit structures collapse in favor of the lowest bid, 
there is further degradation of wages and benefits further downstream. Let's take janitorial services as an example here. Widget Corp has a number of employees in the janitorial department, and they are directly employed by Widget Corp. These people have steady middle-class wages, a 401k, health insurance, steady schedules, vacation time, sick days, and health insurance. These people have steady middle-class wages, 401k, steady schedules, vacation time, sick days, and health insurance. Maybe even a pension if you can believe that. But as the pressure mounts to drive stock prices higher and or pay more and more dividends to the shareholders, it is decided that the janitorial department will be shut down and outsourced. The work is then put out to bid, and the lowest bid wins. The third-party company that wins the bid now employs workers on a part-time basis at minimum wage if they're lucky. Their hours are part-time, chaotic, they get no insurance, no paid vacation, no paid sick days, no retirement savings, and they are easily replaceable. Another interesting thing here is that in this situation, we have not actually lost any jobs. We probably actually have, and I'm using finger quotations here, created a few jobs. After all, if you are replacing people who worked 40 to 45 hours per week with other workers who work only 30 to avoid paying them benefits, there will almost certainly be more of the latter to get the work done. Parenthetically, this is one of the reasons why jobs created isn't always a great metric for how well off the economy or the population are. Not all jobs are created equal. Unironically, this sort of outsourcing creates its own cycle of oppression. As the janitorial companies fight for the cleaning contracts at Widget Corp, they, themselves, begin to seek lower and lower contracts to continue their own low bids. They demand cheaper and cheaper cleaning chemicals and other supplies. Janitorial wholesale companies bid lower and lower to get those contracts, and they push the pressure further and further down the supply chain. Eventually, all of the extra profits that you can possibly make are completely wrung out of the supply chain. And the only thing left that these companies can do to create more profits is to lower wages. It's to punish the employees. And eventually, inevitably, the people at the very bottom of this chain, the most vulnerable amongst us, they feel ever more pain. Layoffs and automation are the only thing left for these companies to do to compete, which, because we ignore taking care of people, just causes even more misery. Now, this next factoid contains a very salient point that I hope you will take a few minutes to think about what this means. 94% of net jobs created between 2005 and 2015 were non-traditional. They are part-time, temp agency, on-call, or employment via contract agencies like our janitorial example I just went through. Not to mention the ever-present gig jobs, places like Uber, Lyft, and Instacart. Now, I can only find a few scattered references to this trend between 2015 and now, but everything I've seen, even if it's not as solid as the 05 to 15 data, it seems to show that the trend continuing in the same direction. A move away from employment and towards contracting gig work. All negatives for the massive majority of workers. As more and more of our jobs become insecure and disassociated from traditional styles of employment, more and more people become vulnerable. These insecure, non-traditional jobs come with drawbacks beyond wage depression, 
which is only the most obvious issue. These employers do not provide health insurance, for instance. This leaves workers who have little or no financial stability the further burden of finding a way to pay for extremely expensive health insurance or to risk not having any at all. Schedules are irregular as well, which means that even beyond individual issues, uh, marriages, and particularly families with children, they face immense pressure. Paying the bills, wages, securing their children's health, health care, and the added expense of child care. Child care itself gets rather onerous in and of itself, even when schedules are firm and set in stone. When schedules are so unpredictable, it gets even worse. There is even a lowered ability to access such important programs as unemployment and worker compensation. It has even thrown a wrench into the ability of workers to coalesce together and unionize to collectively bargain as companies continue to argue that contracting gig workers are not quote-unquote employees and shouldn't have those rights. And too often, states and even voters have supported this deeply anti-worker and classist stance and deprived millions from seeking their full worth as employees. You add this all together, and the result is a financial death spiral for the middle and lower class. Let's reminisce here for a moment on the ladder of success. Rest in peace, ladder. The vaunted ladder of success has had the bottom third of its rungs cut off by the very people who were so helped by that bottom third's existence. C-suite executives all over the country will talk your ear off about how, if they could do it, anybody can. I started off in the mailroom. They say this as they stand behind a lectern and announce that they have outsourced the mailroom for cost-saving purposes. What these people do not tell you is that by prioritizing the value of their own stock options and bonuses, as well as shareholder payouts over the well-being of their employees, they have effectively removed from their own lower-level workers the very ability that they themselves, if we are being generous here, manage to take advantage of. The bottom rungs of the ladder of success, they are now simultaneously out of you know, the reach of what few lower entry-level employees are left, or it simply has nobody left at all to even attempt to climb it from the bottom. In fact, the people who tend to be able to reach the ladder of success and actually climb it are the sorts of people who get to start in the middle. Young people who can attend private colleges and then take year-long unpaid internships in big city corporate headquarters and law firms and never worry about rent or food. Here's a hint. This isn't usually poor people. And this lack of use makes those bottom rungs either disappear entirely or causes them to get very, very slippery and the rungs get further and further apart. Gone are the days of the mailroom employee climbing to the corner office. Hell, gone are the days of the company mailroom even existing. Right now, you need a springboard and years of practice to launch yourself high enough for a desperate grab at the ladder. That need of a springboard and years of practice effectively rules out entire swaths of the population and puts the final nail in the coffin that contains the myth that our society is one based on meritocracy alone. One of the former presidents of the company I work for was fond of telling us how he started as a dock worker. But now the company is replacing company dock workers with part-time temp agency workers. It is increasingly unlikely that an employee will start at the lowest position and be able to move up in that way ever again. The ladder of success barely exists, 
if at all, for these people. Gig workers and temp workers are particularly hard hit by this issue. There is literally no way to advance yourself for better pay and benefits. And even with employees of outside companies like, say, the maids at a Hilton hotel who are employed by a third-party maid service, they have no real hope of moving up because they have nowhere to go. These third-party companies like this, they tend to be extremely flat. There's usually like an owner, maybe a manager, a couple supervisors, and then everybody else. In the past, there was at least hope of moving up within Hilton, right? Move to the front desk, housekeeping manager, and onward. Now? No, sir. Let's talk a little bit about asymmetry of power before we wind things up. At the heart of this fissuring of work is a furthering of the asymmetry of power we find between capital and labor. The powerful firm in our example, Widget Corp., it has within its internal employee HR framework certain safeguards of equity. And I'm not saying it's complete and total equity or that the framework always does good or anything, but let's just be generous here again for the, you know, for this argument. So at a place like Widget Corp, employees with certain skills will be likely to make roughly the same amount of money and receive the same benefits. There will be a human resources department to handle issues like harassment and to establish set policies for dealing with everything from bereavement to vacation requests and, you know, even promotions. Widget Corp. is likely to either offer explicitly or provide through normal business operations on-the-job training. These are all benefits to the worker, for the purposes of this example at least. The ability to use established pay rates to get your own wages to an equitable level is very important. A clear outline of how many days an employee has for bereavement and, you know, maybe a properly run system for the fair dispersal of vacation days are other good examples of the advantages that, you know, a large firm's internal systems provides. As jobs are pushed to outside contractors, these benefits cease to exist for the employee. When Widget Corp. begins outsourcing something like jobs for IT workers, two things happen. The first is that the subcontracted worker gets paid less than the equivalent Widget Corp. employee even if they have greater technical skills and specialized knowledge. The second is that the hiring of this outside IT worker, it immediately begins to exert a downward pressure on the wages and benefits of Widget Corp. IT division employees. When contracting firms low-bid a new contract with Widget Corp., it leaves a smaller firm in a position of not being able to offer workers a livable wage and any worthwhile benefits. In addition, This outsourcing has another benefit for Widget Corp, which is simultaneously a detrimental outcome for the employees of these smaller firms. Widget Corp is able to push the responsibility of compliance onto the smaller firm. Labor laws, payroll, safety, and hours of service regulations all become, as if by magic, the other guy's problem. This is an issue because the smaller firms here they are not as incentivized to keep their paperwork up to date or to make sure that their workers have the necessary safety training and time off between shifts. Widget Corp. wields immense power in these relationships. Their very method of outsourcing is providing them with immense monopsonistic power via contract. They can relentlessly push the less powerful firm for more and more and pay less and less for it. Then, When there is a disaster because a contracted employee was working on a machine he wasn't properly trained to operate, Widget Corp. simply blames the contracting company 
cuts ties, and moves on to another contractor. This contractor will face the same intense pressure, have the same issues, and maybe even have some of the same workers as the previous company. When workers lose the ability to demand or even request better wages and benefits, then the firm gains even more power to depress wages and benefits and to squeeze its employees. As the asymmetry of power increases exponentially, it begins to feed itself power and the cycle simply continues. And when we talk about companies pushing the responsibilities onto subcontractors, let's move into a real-world example before finishing up. Let's talk about Amazon and Amazon delivery drivers. A huge amount of Amazon deliveries are actually performed by subcontractors. Many of them are relatively small in size. Somebody might start a company and lease six vans to get an Amazon contract, as an example. And that company lowballs an offer, of course, and do it as cheaply as possible. Now here's the important part. The drivers who work for this small company, they drive vans emblazoned with the Amazon logo. They wear Amazon logoed uniforms. They deliver Amazon's packages. And not just that, but they are forced to use Amazon technology to track them and have to abide by Amazon's rules. Amazon controls their hours. They track their deliveries in real time. Amazon tracks these drivers with cameras. Amazon tells them where to go and in which order to do the deliveries. Amazon has complete and utter control over these employees. Now, technically, these drivers work for the small company, but they aren't actually employees there either. They are subcontractors, independent contractors, actually. In other words, these workers are generally considered self-employed, but in all reality, for all true intents and purposes, these drivers do, in fact, work for Amazon. This whole, you know, this whole situation, it's like a, like a weird Jedi mind trick and legal loophole that companies like Amazon, Uber, Instacart, and any other gig-type companies take advantage of. In fact, in 2020, gig companies led by Instacart and Uber, they lobbied to pass Proposition 22 in California, a law which would allow gig companies to label workers as independent contractors rather than employees, except they'd be able to do it in a very lax way. This, in turn, was an attempt to stick a knife into the neck of the fledgling gig economy union movement. In August of 2021, a judge ruled that the law was unenforceable. Now, this is a brief win for labor, but of course, Uber and the rest will appeal and we'll see how that goes, you know, moving forward. But all the while, more and more states will begin to push their own Prop 22s aimed at destroying the very concept of calling their workers employees. So all of that stuff, everything I've talked about so far, it all adds up to what we call precarious work. Precarious work is just what it sounds like. Unstable work, which in turn is unstable income, which in turn is unstable ability to take care of ourselves and our families. And I want to take a second here to say something very, very clearly. This is all intentional. These are all intentional policy decisions, not a natural law. This does not have to be true. The people who are fissuring the workplace are doing it in a purposeful and motivated sense, 
even if they'll frame it in a passive way. They won't say, we chose to do this. They'll say, this happened. Or maybe, we were forced to. And that is all bullshit. We've talked in earlier episodes about how the capital class is literally trying to starve poor people into taking you know, poorly paid jobs out of sheer desperation, precarious work and all of that. It creates a very dog-eat-dog, desperate environment, which then allows employers to withhold more and more wages from their workers. And just in case people don't believe that this is absolutely intentional, I want to play you this news clip from Fox News, where John Taffer talks about what we should do to people who are unemployed to get them working again. <laughs> you know, I think that's right. Oh, I have cool. a friend in the military who trains military dogs, Laura, and they only feed a military dog at night because a hungry dog is an obedient dog. Well, if we're not causing people to be hungry to work, that, then we're providing them with all the meals they need sitting at home. I'm completely with you, Laura. These benefits. Now, obviously, that is all bullshit. It's cruel and it's manipulative. And John Taffer is an absolute monster. But these views represent the views of every business owner out there. They want us desperate so that they can pay us less and treat us like shit. Now, these people, they tend to hide these abusive practices with rhetoric that uses words like entrepreneur, flexibility, self-employed, freedom, and choice. Except the translations to these words are this. Entrepreneur here, it just means low-paid employee. Flexibility means you don't know when you'll be working. Freedom means that you will work 18 hours a day because the pay is so low. And choice is probably the worst word here of them all because it doesn't even get translated because it's a, it's a complete and utter lie. Work or die isn't a choice. It's a threat and a promise. Now, what can be done? So while we will never and maybe shouldn't return to the golden age of mailroom to CEO stories and vertical integration, there are things we can do to help workers who are so imperiled by this issue. We can establish a higher minimum wage. This one seems obvious enough. We need to establish at least a floor, for God's sake. How about some federal laws which force employers, all employers, to provide a set minimum amount of vacation and sick days to employees? And, you know, I don't know exactly how to do this. Maybe it's tied to hours worked or some other metric, but a minimum should be applied. And how about we just stop allowing corporations to knowingly misclassify tens of thousands of employees to avoid paying them a fair wage and benefits package? Wouldn't that be amazing? These cretins are just evil at this point. And we simply must begin to hold powerful firms, firms like Widget Corp., accountable for the behavior of their subcontractors. If Widget Corp. can provide national janitorial services with a detailed contract outlining exactly what is to be cleaned, how it is to be done, how much they will pay for those services, even what sorts of chemicals can be used, then they can further demand compliance with state and federal labor and workplace laws and regulations. And if all of that's the case, they should be held responsible for the failures of their contractors. No more washing their hands of the problem and moving on. They must answer for those failures and begin to act as self-regulators or get regulated. I'll give you three more things that can help, 
all of them near and dear to my heart. The first is unions. Worker organization is a primary key here. The asymmetry of power needs to be addressed and solidarity is an incredibly powerful way to level the playing field. Unions should be easier to form and join as well. Card check laws should be put in place. So-called right-to-work laws should be abolished. Antitrust laws need to be enforced again. Monopoly needs to be addressed. Monopsony needs to be addressed, which is basically when an entity becomes the only or most powerful purchaser of a particular good. In this sense, we are talking about labor. Antitrust is literally there for this. It needs to be made useful again. It needs to be used again. Giant companies continually merging into fewer and fewer firms is detrimental to the working class and worker bargaining power. These enormous conglomerates need to be either stopped before they happen or broken up where they've already been allowed to form. How about some new voices in seats of power? How about actual worker representatives on the board of directors of these corporations? I know it's crazy, isn't it? The idea that employees should be represented on the board of directors by one of their own. How could we let such filth mingle with the suit and tie dorks? But think about it for a moment, and I think it makes complete sense. And these representatives should be elected by their fellow employees, not appointed by anyone else. But most importantly, fissuring must be both understood and addressed. We absolutely have to acknowledge that this is happening. We need to avoid emotional blame games and begin to deal with its effects. The middle and working classes are dying right under our noses. We have the ability to save them. Will we? And that, my friends, is the end of the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. As usual, you can rate and review on Apple. There's a link in the description wherever you're listening or watching this. Um, Hey, don't be afraid to share these things on social media, tweet, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Word of mouth is awesome. And with that, I'll leave you guys alone. I love you all. Thank you for being here.